again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm assistant sports editor Mark Faulkner with Red Wings beat reporter Ted Colfin, and we're back at Little Caesars Arena before Tuesday's game between the Red Wings and Canadians. And coming up, we'll hear from Flint's Ken Morrow, a member of the 1980 Miracle on Ice U.S. Olympic team. This weekend, they're celebrating the 40th anniversary of their gold medal victory in Lake Placid. But first, Ted, we're less than a week away from the trade deadline. One rumor in your notebook today, the Red Wings and Avalanche, you said, may be linked. Assistant GM Pat Verbeek was in Denver again last night. The Avalanche are looking for help, especially with the injury last night to Miko Ratanen. He's out at least two weeks with a broken collarbone. What's the latest you're hearing? No, I mean, there's several teams probably that would be interested in Athanasiu. Colorado makes sense, obviously. They're banged up right now, and Ranton's a big loss. You hear that they're interested also in Tomas Tatar here from Montreal. It'd be a good pickup for them, too, obviously. I mean, there's several offensive players out there, but I think Athanasiu would be a good fit. Uh, he kind of plays their type of game. Uh, he'd come relatively cheaply. You still have control over him for some quite some time. I still think his best hockey's ahead of him, too. So, I don't know. I think if you connect some of the dots, I think Colorado would be a good fit. But also, you hear Vancouver still interested in some people. Um, Pittsburgh's not done, evidently. So there's play people out. There's teams out there. I just don't know how. Do they keep trade him now? Do they wait until at the end of the season where maybe his value would be more? After that, Mark, I don't see too many other trade options here on this team. I mean, maybe Mike Green for a lower round draft pick, but other than that, I mean, let's face it, there's nobody else on this roster that's going to help a playoff contender. Maybe a Luke Glendening if they chose choose to go that way. But other than that, I mean, the way Jimmy Howard's played, it's been, been playing this year, it's been a complete disaster. There's no other defenseman there that's going to help a playoff contender here. It's going to be, I think it's going to be a pretty quiet week, actually. What would you give up for Andreas Athanasiu? Certainly on the rush, one of the better players defensively, whether he's at center or on the wing. He's more of a luxury for some of yeah. these teams. But, Ted, what do you think? Maybe a second round and a prospect? What What would you give up maybe to get Athanasiu on your team down the stretch run? That sounds about right, Mark. I'd probably a second or third round pick and a middling draft prospect. I mean, nothing elite. I mean, let's face it, the guy's got eight goals. I mean, it is what it is with a staggering minus 45 uh, plus minus. So it's not pretty, but, you know, you're going to have control over him for a couple of years, a couple of playoff runs. I still think with the right center, I think he could be a dynamic player, but it's certainly uh, his value is not extremely high right now, I would think. As for the wings... They're coming off that 5-1 loss in Pittsburgh. You were there for the Penguins game. The Wings have only 14 goals in their last 10 games. After that Pittsburgh game, Ted, you talked to two of the assistant captains, Dylan Larkin and Luke Glendening, and here's what they had to say about this recent scoring drought. What's concerning you right now, Dylan? It just seems like right, this has been a real tough stretch this past week in particular. Yeah, it has. I mean, uh, the schedule this month we knew coming in that uh, you know this time where we're we're in the thick of it with with how many games we have uh, you know we, we have to find a way to uh, you know get some wins and and win together and 
get on a little streak, and uh, right now the streak's going the other way. So, um, you know, I think we need to get back home and, and grind out a win, and, and you know, a team against that we've had success this year. So, um, it's going to take a you know three-two win or or something where we're going to have to grind it out big time. Is that like the tough thing right now, Luke? It's just trying to find something inside to get going. I mean, just the way these losses yeah, have I mean, been compounding. I, and I think stuff. I think this shows a lot about people's character, guys' character. Um, you know, it's it's easy to to be happy, do things the right way when things are going well, but um, it's hard when things are are going poorly. And um, you know, it's it's easy to point fingers, but. Um, we're all part of the problem, and um, you know we gotta look within ourselves and see how we can be part of the solution. Ted, you were on that road trip for the four losses. How bad are things now as compared to the longer losing streaks heading into the trade deadline? It was a lousy road trip. Let's face it; they were outscored 16 to five. They didn't. They weren't extremely competitive against Boston or Pittsburgh. They were, especially in that Boston game. I thought in the second and third period, the Bruins pretty much had their way and that was pretty much the afternoon against the Penguins too. That third period against New Jersey wasn't very pretty either. All told, I mean, they just they deserve what they got. They got the four losses there. It wasn't very close particularly. I just you just sense that there was definitely a sense of doom and gloom there those final two defeats. So just the way they lost um it's not an easy schedule coming up the rest of the way either. There's not a lot of winnable games there. I think the weight of this season is really starting to, you start to see it on their shoulders here a little bit. It'll be interesting to see how they come out against Montreal tonight. It's, obviously, they've beaten Montreal three times somehow, some way. Uh, if they don't win this one, then you really kind of wonder how the rest of the next few weeks kind of fall into place because, like I said, there's not a lot of teams a lot of these teams are facing our playoff caliber teams and I just the the amount of the way they're losing you just feel like the they're at that point in the season where they just don't see too much more hope and fortunately for them there's only six weeks left I think they're inching toward the finish line Ted just one last note about that Pittsburgh game a small positive was the play of 31 year old defenseman Alex Baiega, who was acquired by Eiserman in the offseason for forward David Pope. Baiega, a Harvard grad who has played more games in the AHL than the NHL, led the team with eight hits, four blocks, and he's been even for the seventh time in the last nine games. Jeff Blaschel played him 25-53 last game. What do you make of Baiega recently? He is who he is. He's a seventh or eighth defenseman. You can shuttle him between Grand Rapids and the Red Wings. Good. Or, I mean, he's a good guy to have in your organization, a good depth defenseman. He's played well here these last couple weeks. I mean, I don't think there's any, there's no, he's not a piece of the future going forward, but it's a good, he is a good piece to have in the organization if they decide to keep him and he decides to stay here. He's a, he's a good example for the younger defenseman in Grand Rapids. You can bring him up, he's not going to hurt you. Uh, he's never going to be an all star, but. He's a good depth defenseman, good guy to have in the organization. Okay, that wraps up the uh, first part of the podcast. Now it's time to hear about the 1980 U.S. Olympic team, which featured a local player from Davison High School, a future USA Hockey Hall of Famer, Ken Morrow. Joining us now is Flint native Ken Morrow, a member of the U.S. 1980 Miracle on Ice team, a four-time Stanley Cup champion, and now the head of pro scouting with the Islanders. And Ken, let's begin with... 
your friendship with the other local player on that U.S. Olympic team, St. Clair Shores native Mark Wells. Do you remember the first time you met Mark before your four years together at Bowling Green University? I had heard about Mark. I played my hockey up in Clinton, Michigan, and had heard about Mark and this terrific player that was down in the Detroit area. And um, through us in Flint, coming down and playing hockey down in Detroit, uh, most of my weekends were spent traveling down to the Detroit area to play <laughs> hockey. So anyway, that was my first um, kind of uh, introduction to Mark, uh, just hearing his name. And then we were actually teammates um, on the Detroit Junior Red Wings back in 1974-75. So I got to play with Mark there, and just so happened that we both got recruited to Bowling Green that year. And uh, as it all worked out, we were roommates for four years in college, so teammates and roommates. Ken, what were those four years like at Bowling Green under Coach Ron Mason, who went on to Michigan State and built that program and became the athletic director? If you look at the stats, you guys played – 154 games, you had 126 points and was named the top defenseman in your final year, your senior season. And Mark had 232 points in those 154 games. Yeah, it's, uh, it was, it was a, a, a terrific four years, you know, of both individually and, and as a team, as a, uh, as a program there at Bowling Green. Uh, we had some really good recruiting classes, the one that Mark and I came in with. Um, and so our four years, just, we got better every year and, uh, Bowling Green was kind of a young program at that time. They had just become division one, just a few years before that. Uh, and the coach for me, Ron Mason was one of the best coaches I've, I've ever played for. Um, so, uh, it was just, you know, mm-hmm. the, the whole situation just was very good with Mark and I, cause as I said, we had played together for a year. We got to go to school together, uh, you know, spend our four years together, and the program just got better and better every year. Uh, started to get recognized nationally, and uh, went to a, a you know a couple of NCAA playoffs to a Final Four in my junior year. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I'd like to say that I think you know that our uh, recruiting class and, and Mark and I, you know. Uh, I think it helped put Bowling Green on the map at that time as far as college hockey goes. And, you know, they quickly became a a power uh, at that time. What kind of player was Mark coming out of Bowling Green, Ken? Because Herb Brooks wound up adding Mark as the very last player to that 1980 U.S. Olympic team. Well, as you said, you know, you you quoted the stats for Mark. I mean, he was, you know, one of the top scorers in college hockey at that time, one of the best U.S. players. Um, you know, in, in that group uh, mm-hmm. at that time. But there were a lot of other good ones, <laughs> and, you know. And, and so when you look through Herb Brooks' eyes, you know, he's got to he's got to take 20 guys uh, to Lake Placid. That was it. He was restricted as to what he could take. Um, so the way it all kind of worked out, from my perspective, was just that uh, you know he they named twenty I, think, I believe it was twenty five players coming out of the tryouts, uh, and Herb was going to have to make decisions on five players uh, when he had to make his final roster cut uh, before going to Lake Placid. So Mark was in that mix, and so I know he 
you know, the, you played, uh, you know, some high-level hockey there. I, I believe it was in the IHL at that time. Um, and, you know, was, was ready whenever needed to, to come in and, and join a team and fight for a spot. And that's kind of the way it happened, you know. I, I believe he joined us on a few um, trips uh, during the season, during our pre-Olympic season. And then, you know, got the final call to the team right before we went into Lake Placida. Now, on the conference call the other day with Mike Eruzioni, who scored that game winner against the Russians in the semifinals, Mark Wells' role was on the fourth line with Eric Strobel and Phil Ricotta. All four lines got to play 20, 30 seconds. This is back 40 years ago, Herb Brooks. Maybe knowing, Ken, that he had to keep the tempo up to, to skate against his powerful Soviet Union team? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, being able to roll four lines and, and from everything I've heard and read, you know, I'm still learning things 40 years later about what Herb did and everything, but the 45-second sh- shifts I saw Craig, Craig Patrick quoted as that that was very important to Herb. A lot of our practices were geared around 45-second shifts. And, um, and, and so this was all masterminded by by Herb. Um, but Mark, you know, what, what Mark did, he was a terrific skater and that's the one element to the team that I, I know Herb went for the best skaters. Um, that was, you know, possibly number one on his list was you had to be able to skate to play on that team. And so that was a, a big plus for Mark. He was a, a, a really good skater. Um, you know, and, and here's a guy who, you know, was a top, score number one center on his team in college mm-hmm. for four years um but all of a sudden like a lot of players on that team you you fit into a different role you know i was a an offensive defenseman but with the olympic team i became more of a defensive defenseman because there were other guys that could do it better than me and so with mark i know i've talked to him since then um you know his role and herbert kind of asked him that he needed him to play a a checking role you know, on a fourth line checking role with the, with the Olympic team. So, um, you know, you, you either adapt to that as a player or you don't play. And, um, and so Mark did, he had that element to his game as well. You know, not only was he a scorer, but he could check and that's what he did with the Olympic team. Ken, what was it like the two Michigan guys on the team? 12 of 20 players had Minnesota roots. Nine were from the university of Minnesota. What was it like coming onto a team where Herb Brooks was telling everyone you're not from the University of Wisconsin or, or from Minnesota Duluth, you're, you're a member of Team USA. Was that, was that something as two Michigan guys coming down on the team that became more and more irrelevant? You know, at that time, hockey was regional. You know? um, <laughs> and so I, I know, you know, it was kind of a, a running joke with a lot of the players back then. You know, we, we used to make jokes about regionalism and and the, the Boston guys, you know, with, with everything that they did and, and the Minnesota guys. And then the, we had the two Wisconsin and two Michigan guys who were kind of in between all that, you know. So it really was kind of the flavor was really the Minnesota, the large contingent of Minnesota guys. And then you had the Boston guys who had kind of the big personalities, you know. Um, so I think it was, you know, we were, we were kind of the middleman, I guess you'd say, more than anything. Um, and, you know, we'd, I'd played against a few of these guys in college, but not all of them. So there was kind of a getting to know each other period for a while. But I, uh, I believe that's one of the reasons why Herb had wanted to play, you know, 60 plus games leading up to the Olympics. He wanted the guys to, 
not only grow together on the ice, but off the ice as well. And it, it gave us a chance to do that. Ken, also on the conference call the other day was the, the broadcaster, Al Michaels, who talked about his, do you believe in miracles? Yes. And what was interesting was Al couldn't make that call until the puck came outside the neutral zone because he thought he couldn't say something like that in case the puck came back in. So my question to you is the last 10 minutes, especially those last 10 seconds, what do you remember being out on the ice with Mike Ramsey? The two of you played a lot. You were down to maybe four defensemen for a while there with Dave Christian moving back. What were those final 10 minutes and those final seconds like? As Al Michael said, right to the very end, he wasn't sure if the Russians were going to tie the game. <laughs> yeah, we all weren't. Yeah. It's, um, you're almost kind of waiting for it to happen, you know. And, and so what was it like the last 10 minutes? It was long. I can just tell you, you know, it's, it's like that in sports. When you're trying to hold on to a lead, it, the clock doesn't seem to tick down at all. And when you're behind, it seems to go too fast. So it was a long 10 minutes. But, you know, the, the one place you want to be is on the ice. And as you mentioned, you know, with four defensemen, we were pretty much down to four defensemen at that point. And, um, you know, you're, you're going out every other shift. And, and so you want to be on the ice. You don't want to be on the bench. The worst place to be is on the bench to me, you know? Um, so, uh, yeah, Mike and I were out for the last uh, minute and a half. There was a face off in, in the uh, Russian end and, and so we, we had come out for that. And then, you know, as it, happened there was just one whistle in between um an offsides play i believe um and that was it so we you know we were out there for the last minute and a half and uh you know uh it was uh i've been asked what was you know my thought at that time and my only thought was get it out over the blue line you know as a defenseman you just don't want the puck to be in your head and so we did get it out a couple times and as you said right at the end there you know to, to hear all michael's you know, whenever they play clips of that, I get to hear my name called, you know, right with about five seconds to go. I fired the puck up the boards. And, and uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, I thank Al Michaels for that every day. <laughs> that's, that's an awesome story there, Ken. I'm just curious yeah. now as a pro uh, scout, did the Russians, did they start dumping and chasing? Did they didn't pull their goalie? There's all these things you said you're learning. We're all sort of learning about what was happening. If you look at the U.S. team, it was a small forward group. There was only one or two players. Like for Coda, it was on Mark's line. It was a small group, fast group, like you said, that yeah. played a lot. And the defense was, you know, you were 6'4", Mike was 6'3 or so, but and Jack Callahan, 6'1", yeah. and Bill Baker. And, of course, Jim Craig, of course, played well on goal. But if you were to sort of quickly, like, look back at that team with the skills you have now, um, you'd, would you lose nine of 10 to that Russian team? Is that, is that overstated? Uh, good question. I think it's really easy in hindsight to look back and say that was a, you know, the U S team was a much better team than, than we were given credit for at that time. Um, but you got to remember we were all young then, um, you know, and uh, we were unknown. Um, mm -hmm to the hockey world, I guess, for, to most of the hockey world, I should say. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's pretty hard to, to, to look back and say, well, yeah, you know, they, they had a, a guy who played, you know, thousand NHL games on the team. It wasn't that, it wasn't the case at that point. Um, and then you look at the Russian team and, 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 you know, how the game went and, and how they reacted at the end of the game, 
you got to remember this was a team that that just didn't lose. You know, they they didn't find themselves behind in any games late in the, late late in the third period. So I I think it was really just a case of them never having been in that position, or if they were, it was rare. You know, and um, you know they they uh, you know they just found that they ran into a team that finally um, could skate with them in the third period. You know, credit Herb Brooks for that. You know, the conditioning and everything that we did. Um, we outscored Team 16 to three in the third period for the Olympics. So that's basically what won us that tournament. You know, was the conditioning and and coming from behind that we were able to do, and being able to skate with them at the end. And, uh, not get overwhelmed. Um, you know, we, we did play a lot in our, in our end, but you know, Jimmy Craig and, and, uh, you know, our conditioning really carried us through. Two last questions actually, um, about what the Olympics meant to you and Mark and your friendship with Mark. I'm sure it's changed over the years. You guys spent a lot of time early on, you know, about, uh, some of, uh, uh, Mark's health problems in, uh, 2010, he had to sell his, um, his gold medal for $40,000 to help pay for medical bills with that degenerative uh, disc disease. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about where, where, um, where Mark has come and how you're looking forward to Ken, to seeing him. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, we've 40 years have passed and life has taken its toll for a lot of guys. And, and for Mark, you know, the, you know, little did, did any of us know that he'd be going through these kind of health problems that he has, you know, serious mm-hmm. health problems. And, and it changes, you know, the course of your life. Uh, I don't have to tell anybody that, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, he's a fighter. And I don't know that I've played with anybody that's, that's more of a fighter than Mark. And so he's, you know, he's got that spirit in him that he had when he was a player. And um, he's battled through this. He's had to do some difficult things. Um, love to see him get his medal back at some point. Maybe that's something we can we can all work towards. Um, help him, um, you know. We'd um, like to be there for him more. I think we all would. Um, but uh, you know, we we've got this uh, bond, you know, that that you've heard other teams and players talk about when you go through something and win a championship and do something special. Um, we have that with the team and, um, you know, we're all, uh, we all do, uh, what we can for each other. You said you guys might try and help out, um, with that, um, with that medal. Like, what are you thinking? No, there? no, no. I, I, okay. well, I, 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 there's nothing in the works. Nothing in the works. Okay. I'm just saying, I think, I think what we, the hope would be that maybe at some point we could do something. But yeah. yeah I, I'm just saying that in regards to, you know, um, yeah. And seeing a guy that had to, you know, he was basically, you know, almost forced into a situation that he, he had to do something like that. And and so in a perfect world, you know, maybe he, he eventually ends up with his medal back at some point. The Olympics to you, I know um, your father urged you to play in the Olympics before he passed away. And when you were with the Islanders, I had a chance to sit down with Dennis Potvin at length uh, along the bench at Joe Lewis. Oh, great. Yeah, and Dennis great. talked. And Dennis talked about, um, you know, how important it is that many players do play for their fathers, their families, or moms or dads. But that was Dennis's opinion sure. at the time. It may have changed. So I'm just wondering with your father urging you to play in the Olympics, 
what it means to you now as you look back at 40 years and going into this reunion weekend? Yeah, the, the 40 years, you know, we've been through anniversaries, you know, the, I think we celebrated a 10 year and then a 25 year and then 30, 35, 40. Um, this one's been much more reflective looking back, you know, uh, mm. thinking about things, uh, doing a lot of reminiscing about, uh, you know, how you got to that point, what happened back then and that led to, to you know, to 1980. Um, all I can say is, yeah, my, my father certainly played a huge part in that. Um, along with some other people, you know, that, uh, um, you know, that, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to do it without them. Let me put it that way. So, um, there's a lot of sacrifices by other people, um, and that allowed me to, to get to the point and, and then to, and to take advantage of opportunities that came along. So, um, yeah, it, it, it wasn't, there wasn't a choice for me back then. I, I was drafted by the Islanders in 1976, but, um, you know, I had, uh, the Olympics were something that were, uh, first and foremost for me. If, 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 uh, if that opportunity came along, um, you know, and so, uh, thankfully, um, you know, uh, that's what happened and, and, uh, it led to, uh, some much greater things that came out afterwards. Ken, thanks for your time today and, and all the best at the reunion and heading into the trade deadline with the Islanders. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Mark. So, Ted, what do you remember about the 1980 U.S. Olympic team? Let's see, Mark. I was, what, 14 years <laughs> old at the time. I remember Bill Bonds. We were a Channel 7 household, yeah. and I do remember Bill Bonds telling us the score of the game before it was to be before it was to be played well replayed at eight o'clock so so we got a I remember Bill was very much chastised for that for telling everybody that it was an incredible I mean it's I mean all the lists you see they're accurate that was the number one sports moment in America's history or pretty darn close to it just a you know remarkable accomplishment and let's face it, it was a hell of a movie too Mark <laughs> yeah great movie with Kurt Russell and Al Michaels was saying the other day that some of the producers wanted to make it a love story and not a hockey story, but I think they got it right oh, for the yeah, most they part. Did, they they did. did. And finally, Ted, you mentioned the upcoming schedule. The Wings will be on the road later this week against the Islanders, who added Trenton native Andy Green from the Devils for a second rounder and defenseman David Quenville. And then the Wings will be back here for a Sunday night game against Matthew Kachuk and the Flames. Our next scheduled podcast is the day after the trade deadline. How does the week shape up? And again, it must be frustrating for Steve Eiserman wanting to pick up some more draft picks. He still has six days. Yeah, but like we said, Mark, there's not a lot of peace. You're not going to get much for Trevor Daly or if anything at all. Maybe a low-round pick for Mike Green. Depends what if they want to dish out a guy like Anthony C.U. or Glenn Denning, like we said. Maybe Darren Helm, but I doubt that. So I don't think it's going to be too many fireworks around here. But around the league, it'll be interesting. There's not a whole lot of sexy names out there this year. So I'll be curious to see what how it's going to entail there Monday afternoon. A lot of teams are right on the fence. I mean, you're right on the – we talk about the Islanders, the Flames. Those are two teams right there that could go either way. They could make the playoffs by a point or miss the playoffs by a point. So 
It'll be interesting, obviously, around the league to see who adds what. And like I was saying, our next podcast, the day after the deadline, the Wings and Devils, February 25th. And, of course, if there's breaking news, we'll have updates. So we'll see you soon either way. Thanks, Mark.